And in chapter one of Jonah, we see this story of a man who is a prophet of God, and God speaks directly to him and says, go to the city of Nineveh, preach against them, because their wickedness has come against me, and I need to settle things. And Jonah then books a ticket on a ship in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. And while he's on this ship, he tells the sailors that he's with, horrible pagan human beings, they're not followers of Yahweh, and he tells them, apparently in conversation, they're like, hey, what do you do? He's like, well, I'm a prophet, and right now I'm running away from God. Um, He's told me to go to this one place, but I'm going in the exact opposite direction. Like, he tells them. He doesn't witness to them. He doesn't share his faith. He says, I'm running away from God. And then he goes downstairs in the bottom of the boat. He takes a really, really nice nap. He goes to sleep, and a massive storm comes up because of Jonah, because he's being disobedient. The sailors are trying everything they can to spare his life, to save everybody's life, to save the ship. And Jonah comes out, and they wake him up, and they're like, how are you sleeping? He's like, oh, actually, this is my fault. Um, This is all because of me. I serve the God who's over the the wind and the seas and the earth, and and he's mad at me. So you need to throw me overboard. And, And he doesn't, again, does not witness to them, does not tell them about his God, does not do the things that a prophet should do. He says, you just gotta kill me. So they throw him overboard, And that's like sort of the end of chapter one, except we get this wild detail that God sends a giant fish to swallow Jonah. And so that's where we start chapter two, right? With just the worst prophet ever. And he is in as bad a situation as you can probably fathom being in. He is in the belly of a fish. And Jonah then prays, right? It's like the first holy thing that he's done the entire story And he prays to God while he's in the belly of the fish. And that's chapter two. And let's just read through what Jonah prays, right? So in chapter two, it says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols, Turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Then God commands the fish to vomit Jonah up on the dry land, and I love that the Bible says vomit there. (laughs) But really, if we look at it, this is the best thing that Jonah has done so far. He prays, and if you look at his prayer It is a beautiful prayer. I would argue that it's not just the best thing that he has done, it's the best thing that he will do the entire story. And we get to unpack that over the next couple weeks, but but really, I think this is the best thing that Jonah does in his entire story, is this prayer. It's it's beautiful, it's elegant, it's it's thoughtful, it is holy, it is God-centered, and it is stolen. Every single line of Jonah's prayer is plagiarized. Seriously. He's just the worst. 
Like the best thing that he does is he steals a prayer. Where does he steal it from? He steals it from the Psalms. Here's references. These are the words of Jonah, and then the reference right next to it is where it's found in the Psalms. I'm not, Eugene Peterson writes about this in, in his telling of the story of Jonah, and, and literally every word that Jonah prays is taken from the Psalms. Lock, stock, and barrel, he steals the whole thing. What an awful prophet. That's one way of looking at it. There's another way of looking at what Jonah does here, and I want us to explore that. Maybe Jonah isn't the worst, but readily, like the very first thing that comes to my mind is this guy is pathetic, right? Like, so at our house right now, we're in, the, in a phase of life where there are lots of Disney movies being played all the time. And, and my son and daughter, they love particularly Beauty and the Beast and the Lion King, which is like endearing to me because it says that something from my childhood has stood the test of time and it's good for multiple generations. Um, and, and he loves the Lion King. And, and we watch this moment several, several, several times on repeat um, because we watch the movie over and over. But there's this moment where little Simba and Mufasa are hanging out. And Mufasa says to Simba, you deliberately disobeyed me today, right? And he put himself in danger, and he had to go save him. And Simba responds, he goes, Dad, I was just trying to be brave like you. And that turns into this wonderful, lighthearted moment where Mufasa and Simba play, and they run, and they tackle each other. And, and that's really, really cute until a few weeks later, your son decides that he wants to jump off the couch and give his sister the people's elbow, like in the middle of the living room. And, and he knows that like, we're not supposed to stand on the couch. We're not supposed to jump off the couch. We're definitely not supposed to lay the smack down on our sister in the middle of the living room from the couch. He knows all of this, we've told him. And even right before he jumped, I said, Desmond, you shouldn't do that. And he looks at me and he jumps. And he does his best The Rock all over his little sister. And I say, Desmond, you disobeyed me. And he said, Dad, I was just trying to be brave like you. (laughs) That's really cute until you recognize that's not something from his heart. He's just parroting an animated lion cub to try and get out of trouble. Right, It loses its meaning when you say, you, you didn't come up with that. You're not original. And that's what I feel when I look at Jonah. The guy stole all of his prayer. He runs from God. He's not a public witness for him. He, throws him, he gets himself thrown overboard, and, and God swallows him up. And when he is in the midst of his troubles, he uses copied prayers. But I really do think there is another way that we can look at it. Because here's the problem. When we pray and we think that the most spontaneous prayers are the most beautiful, the most personal, the best prayers, right? That's, that's, a, that's a belief that we tend to have. Whether we would say it or not, we think people that can just spontaneously start praying, they are great prayers. And, and the more heart, heartfelt I can be in the moment, the better prayer I am. Except when I pray in moments of distress, and those are generally the moments we pray, right? We either pray when things are going really, really well or when things are going really, really bad. 
But when I pray when things are really bad, it's very easy for those prayers to be all about me, all about my circumstances, because that's what I'm focused on in the midst of trouble. Now, I'm sure you're completely different, right? When, when things are not good for you, you don't think about yourself at all. That's just sort of what we tend to do. And prayers that are all about us, I don't know that those are really the most effective prayers. Right, God knows exactly our mess, and he knows how we got ourselves there, and he knows just how incapable we are of saving ourselves. And so when we're really in trouble, we should probably be talking more to and about the guy who can save, rather than the person who needs to be saved. And if you look at Jonah's prayer, there's, there's all sorts of personal references, but it's largely focused on God. Right, he, he talks about his circumstance. He applies metaphors and literal alliterations of what's happening to his circumstances, but the main point, purpose of the prayer is focused on God, his character, his sovereignty, his actions, his presence in his circumstance. I think that's not too bad of a prayer to pray. The other reason that I don't think Jonah's awful is because when we're really in trouble, there are times that we don't have words. Right, have you ever been there? You get the text, the phone call, you see the news story. Right, your friend said, we lost the baby. She's in a coma, we don't know what's gonna happen. There has been another shooting in which young, innocent lives have been taken. What do we say? I, I don't have words for those moments. Maybe if you had been in flat-out rebellion against God and it had brought you to the point where you were going to lose your life and you knew that and you were thrown off a ship and you were swallowed by a fish, and you had no idea what was next, maybe you wouldn't have words to say either. And so maybe you wouldn't have prayed at all because you wouldn't know how. Maybe if you had prayed, it would have been all about you, when in fact the reason that you got thrown overboard was because you'd made everything all about you for a long time. See, what I find fascinating and what I think is the best thing about this part of the story is that Jonah knows the Psalms so well that in his darkest moment, he knows how to pray. He knows how to pray things that don't match his circumstance. Definitely not from his perspective. Right? He has made himself hardwired to know that when I am in trouble, I pray. And there's a way to pray. He doesn't just steal the words of his prayer. He steals the form of it, right? Psalms are broken down into two sort of categories. There's praises and laments. Things are going well, things are going bad. Jonah prays a psalm of praise while he's in the fish. That's not something that comes naturally. That's something 
that somebody who has been to prayer school does. For 2,000 years, Christians, our Jewish predecessors, had a manual that they called the School of Prayer. It's called the Psalms. For thousands of years, people have been praying the Psalms because the Psalms teach us how to pray. Now, somewhere along the way, we've sort of lost that. Like, we see the Psalms as this really big, longest book in the middle of our Bible that has poetry that doesn't make sense to us. It's incredibly boring. It is a chore to get through. And there's only a few of them that are good enough that we should recite them at funerals. Anybody like, yeah, that's sort of what my experience of the Psalms has been. That's not how we saw the Psalms for thousands of years. They weren't just poetry. They were cries of hearts. What Jonah is able to do because he knows the psalm, if you look at his words, Jonah recognizes God is at work in his circumstances. Right? Verse 2, 3, and 6, Jonah gives a reference to how God is at work in his circumstances. Jonah refocuses his thoughts and his desires on God. Right? He does that in verses 4, 7, 8, and 9. That's the most common thing he does, is he refocuses his circumstances around God. And lastly, Jonah is able to praise God for his circumstance, right? Not just praise God despite his circumstance, he is able to praise God for his circumstance. In your darkest moment, could you do those things? When things are really not going well, is it your natural inclination to look at how God is moving in your circumstances? Are you able to reorient your thoughts around God? And are you able to praise him in spite of and because of your circumstances? That doesn't come naturally to me. But somehow it does for Jonah because he has learned how to pray. This is our manual. John Calvin, one of the reformers, he he would write about the Psalms. He says these words. We're gonna get them up on screen. He says, the book of Psalms is like a mirror reflecting back to us every conceivable human thought and emotion, the brightest joy, the highest praise, the deepest grief, the fiercest rage. Sometimes all appear in the same Psalm. No part of our human condition is left unaddressed. The Psalms are not boring poetry that we have to get through as a part of our Bible reading. The Psalms are the expression of our hearts to God. They're inspired by him. They are the language that we have been given to talk to him. And they are essential in us learning how to approach and answer God in the midst of our circumstances. Eversion. I listen to that dude a lot. (laughs) Sorry, ADD. Um, 
highly ADD, highly medicated, but highly ADD. Um, <laughs> so, sorry, squirrel. Um, okay, <laughs> it's all good. Uh, the Psalms are the language that we have been given to pray to God, right? And, and for most of my life, I thought that they were just the boring big book in the middle that we just got through in a Bible reading plan. But a few years ago, I was walking through depression, and I found the Psalms, right? I knew that they existed. I, I had read them. I was very aware of the Psalms. But in, in those months, I found the Psalms. I learned how to pray through the Psalms, right? Because I was in a season where I had no idea how to pray. I had no idea how to be thankful. I had no idea how to, to celebrate what was going on in my life. There was a really big cloud around me, and I was just walking through it, and I was just putting one foot in front of the other. And if you had asked what my heart wanted to say, it wasn't praises. It wasn't looking for how God was active in my circumstances. It wasn't looking outside of myself. Right? That's what depression does. Everything is, is isolated and inward focused. But in this season, I found this, this little book. It's called the, it's the Paraclete Psalter. And Psalter is a collection of psalms. And the Anglican Church has the Book of Common Prayer. Like, there's all sorts of different names for it. But, but this one's like, it's 15 bucks on Amazon. version. there you go, has, has plans where you can read through the Psalms. And what this does is it appoints different times of the day. And over the course of four weeks, you read through every single Psalm at least once. And it has them geared, Psalms that you, that you read in the morning, Psalms that you read in the middle of your day, right? Take a break from your work and recognize that any work you're doing is only done well because of God. Psalms that you pray in the evening. Psalms that you pray right before you go to bed to give everything over to God while you sleep. And in the Psalms, I found a God who did not ignore justice. I found a God who was merciful. I found a God who was for me. I found a God who was faithful to his promises, not forsake or leave. I found a God who was loving, who was present and active in our lives. And I desperately needed that God. Right? And, and there are things that you can know in your head, but it takes a while for your heart to follow. And I needed to be taught how to pray. Because the beauty of the of, of the psalm, the psalms, psalms as, as a follower of Jesus is, is we see all of us about who God is. And we know what that God looks like in the flesh. Because if we have Jesus, we get to see the word made flesh. A God who, who does not just leave us down here to figure this whole thing out by ourselves. A God who identifies with our circumstances. 
a God who is real, who is present, who was one of us, who then went to a cross to die for us and rose from the dead so that we might have new life in him. That life happens in a kingdom of which he is reigning and ruling and sovereign over, and that's the end of the deal. Nobody else gets a last word. And if I place my trust in him, I know the eternity of that kingdom. I know my place in it. And I know that regardless of what my circumstances are, that is true. And in the midst of my circumstances, I have to be able to look at the God who does not change, regardless of circumstances. That is the God that is in the Psalms. That is the God that I have to know. Because without him, I'm really, really bad at navigating all this. So today, I want you to know the Psalms are not just a big piece of your Bible that's really boring. They are prayers. And I think that's the biggest change that I ever made in my, in my devotional reading of the Bible was stopping, stop looking at the Psalms as just words to get through. But when I started seeing them as prayers and I made them my own prayers, it changed everything because I was able to say to God things that my heart didn't really know yet, but I needed it to be true. I needed to be able to be like Jonah in chapter two. Jonah, who in the midst of his worst scenario, the worst circumstances you can imagine, he says, I needed help and you rescued me. My life, my circumstances, they are literally drowning me. Yet I'm going to look to your holy temple. And you are gonna hear my prayer because that's who you are, God. And you're gonna save me. And he closes the whole thing out by saying, I will praise you. The vows that I've made, I'm gonna fulfill them. Salvation comes from the Lord. There is no one else that can save me. It is just God. I need to know that. I don't just need to know it once. I need to know it every day. Salvation comes from the Lord. Every other thing that I could cling to is worthless. That's what Jonah says. I need God. Do you know that? Do you know that in your head and in your heart? There's a difference. I invite you to live in the Psalms. Not so that you can be a good Christian who gets your checklist done of all the religious things that you've done. So that you can find yourself with a language 
in the midst of whatever. To be able to say, these are my circumstances, but this is my God. He does not change. He is the only one who can save me, and I will praise him. We're gonna end things just a little bit different than normal um, because I really do think there's this mental block that we have about how we see the Psalms. And they're either foreign to us, they, they sound unfamiliar, they don't, we're not into reading poetry on a normal basis. They just sound like this religious thing that we do. And so to, to help us sort of break out of that, we're gonna take a really familiar Psalm, Psalm 23. I guarantee you've heard it. And, and Emily and Nathaniel are going to, to sing it in a different light. And it's gonna be sung as a prayer. And so over the next few minutes, as, as they lead us, I invite you to just sit. Think, reflect, pray it yourself. And, and in a couple minutes, I'm gonna come back up and I'm gonna close out our service like that.